Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. I really, really need to share with you something that's making me very, very happy this week before we dive into this week's episode, and that is an Instagram account called Siegfried und Joy. They are this comedy slash magic duo. I'm sure they would self-identify as just a magic duo. They're German. They go around Germany doing little magic tricks. Like, they recently were in Freiburg, actually. They have a couple of really, really good ones from Freiburg. And the one I wanted to mention, the there's a, a Straßenbahn, like a tram, and it's pulled up to a stop, letting people off and on, right? And the magician one, I don't know their names. So magician one goes up and like waves through the window to the people in the Straßenbahn. And then he pulls up the sheet so they can't see. And then when he pulls it down, his friend appears. <laughs> and the trick is like, whoa, look, it's a different person. Meanwhile, person one crawls along the floor and then like re- like pops up and reappears from, from far, far away. And okay, I'm, like it's way, way, way funnier if you watch it than my description. But it's just so goofy and stupid and I freaking love it and and that clip is to the Celine Dion song and they use that Celine Dion song for all of the the acts of this type that they do and it's so funny and the Freiburg one it's it's one of their most recent posts as of the time of posting this episode and like it's like a joke within the joke because the Freiburg tram system is called VAG V-A-G And they had a Fridays for Future kind of advertisement on the outside of the tram, like advertising, look, the tram system here is so green. What did it actually say? It said, for future, vag, for future vag. And that is the tram that these people were doing this magic trick to or on. Um, the comedy value is just really high and I'm just, I'm having a real busy week. So I was very happy to fall down the rabbit hole of their Instagram page. And I just wanted to mention it in case you haven't heard of them or you've only seen one clip. If you're having a week, just like take five minutes out of your day and just scroll through that and laugh at dumb things for a minute. It's done wonders for me. (laughs) All right, without further ado, now we will get to this week's episode, which is with One of these people who I've been online friends with for a while and finally, finally got to sit down and talk with and get to know more about. I'm realizing, actually, I'm doing back-to-back people from Indiana, (laughs) but she's from Indiana and moved to Berlin. But actually, between those two spots, she lived in LA for a while. So we talk about, of course, Berlin life and her whole expat story, but also the culture shocks that she got in California, in LA, versus Indiana or versus Germany. We talk about being a woman in tech, an immigrant in tech, about solo travel, about all sorts of good things. It's, it's really a nice one, and I hope that you guys enjoy. My name is Laurel, and I am originally from Gary, Indiana. It's about 45 minutes from Chicago, and I am currently living in Berlin, and I've been in Berlin for five years as of tomorrow. Whoa! Happy anniversary! (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Did you go straight to Berlin from Indiana, or were there places in between? 
Uh, there are some places in between. So uh, after I got done with university, I lived in Indianapolis for a year, and then I worked in Chicago for about two years. And then in 2012, I moved to LA, and I lived there until 2017. And then after that, I moved here. So your Berlin anniversary is also your Germany slash life abroad anniversary. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We moved abroad then a month apart. I also, I just had my fifth Gedeutschtag like a month ago. Oh, wow. Nice. I don't know. For me, it feels very significant. Five was like a landmark in my head for a while and I don't know why. How is it for you? Does it have any special meaning? It's interesting. Like every time in my life, whenever I've made a big move, it's always been in September. Like like when I moved to LA, it was also at the beginning of September. Yeah, I think that's the only significance that I can see. Well, I'm curious how all of the various moves happen. I mean, I feel like Indianapolis from Gary, I can understand. And then Indianapolis to Chicago also kind of makes sense. It's just like hopping around. I mean, for people who don't know that area, they're all pretty close together, right? Like I think Indianapolis to Chicago's Two and a half to three hours, obviously, depending on the traffic and stuff. Relatively close to each other, like in the American term. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Purdue University, which is about midway between uh, Chicago and Indianapolis in a town called West Lafayette. And I graduated in 2008. You know, that was a really tough time to be coming out of school. And so I think I had stayed in West Lafayette an additional year. Tried to, I already had a job and stuff to do. So I did that. And then I ended up getting another job in Indianapolis. I don't know, like I moved there and... I just never really clicked with it. Like Indianapolis, it's actually a pretty decent sized city. I think there's almost 800,000 people there, but it's a very small town atmosphere. And I grew up going to Chicago on the weekends. Like parents would always take me and my sister to see shows or we'd go to Navy Pier. So I grew up going to this huge metropolitan city and I think that set a precedent for how I expected other cities to be. And so like going to Indianapolis, it's like, oh, it's not really much going on. And so it got old real fast, I think. And so I decided that I wanted to move back to Chicago. I realized after about a year in, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I've always just envisioned myself doing something big with my life, like something really daring and bold. And so that was what prompted me to do LA because I said, you know what, I'm in my 20s, I'm going to give this a shot. The worst case scenario is I could move back with my mom, who was also at the time moving over to the East Coast. So we were both in the middle of moving when I decided to move to California. I moved to LA at the beginning of September of 2012. And my first year there was a lot like I definitely experienced a lot of growth and I had to grow up real fast. But I'm super grateful for that. And then I ended up being there for five years which is amazing when you consider that there's so many people that go there and then they are gone within six months because they can't find a job or, you know, they, yeah, they thought they were going to move there and do something with the entertainment industry. To say that I made it for five years is pretty remarkable, but I will say that I was kind of over it by the third year. 
just simply because like I was commuting an hour and a half in the car each way and the traffic is terrible. It's a very expensive place to live. And that wore on me a lot. I had started solo traveling in 2015 and I first did a trip to Iceland, Stockholm, and Paris. And I just fell in love with Europe when I was on this trip, like just seeing how much more chill people are compared (laughs) to the US and just how easy it is to travel between the different countries. That was really enticing to me. And so at first I thought, oh, I'll move to Paris. Like Paris is cool. I really enjoyed it. But then when I got home and I started looking into it, it seemed a bit difficult at the time because I don't think Macron was president yet because he's since made it a bit easier for Americans and other non-EU citizens to move to France. Yeah. And so my focus started shifting toward Germany because in high school and then about three or four semesters in uni, I did take German classes. So I already had familiarity with the language. And I said to myself, okay, well, if I went to Paris, I'd be starting completely from zero with French. At least if I go to Germany, I would be already familiar with the language. So I obviously needed a refresher, but it wasn't like I was going to be completely starting over with a new language. And then the next year, I decided to do a trip to Berlin and uh, Prague. And I had read about a lot about Berlin. And Berlin was always really interesting to me just because of the history the city has had. Like, I remember obviously learning about World War II in high school and the Cold War and then the wall coming down and all of that. And so it was really interesting to me at this point, it's 2016. And so I'm reading that it's a emerging tech hub in Europe. And like Google was at the time yeah. planning to build an office here. And so I said, okay, let me give it a shot. And so I came here at, I think it was during the week of Thanksgiving in 2016. I just fell in love with the city. I don't really know how else to explain it. It's so weird because of the time of year that I was here. It was the end of November. As I, as you know, the weather is horrible. But if you grew up in the Midwest and you knew Chicago, I mean, in some ways, you're a bit prepared. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I'll hear people complain about the winters here And I'm honestly like, you know what, I'm okay. The only thing that really gets to me is how gray and dark it can be, because I don't think it's like that in the Midwest, or that makes a huge difference. But I mean, yeah, if you loved it in in gray November, this is a very good promising sign. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The one saving grace was that the Christmas markets had literally started. And I think at that time of year, it makes that weather a bit more bearable because you have all the pretty Christmas lights and it's just a bit more festive and all of that. But I decided during that trip, I said, okay, I love it here. How do I make it happen that I move here? And so I decided after Christmas that I was going to do it. I said, okay, at the end of the summer 2017, I'm going to move to Berlin. I had planned on staying at my job that I was working. I was working as a project manager at a promo products company. I was going to stay there till August and then move and then fly out to Berlin at the end of August or beginning of September. And then life threw me a curveball when the company decided to restructure and my entire department got fired. 
And at this point, it was the end of April. And so I'm like, oh, well, shit, what am I going to do? I still have to figure out how I'm going to get through the next four months. And luckily, I did get a nice severance package. And then I also was able to collect unemployment. And I quickly figured out that like, you do have to provide proof that you're applying for jobs, but they don't really care about where the job is. I one day looked up on Google a German CV format and I put one together, just started applying to jobs in Berlin. Like there's a website called Berlin Startup Jobs where a lot of startup and tech companies will post jobs and typically they're all English speaking jobs, unless it specifies otherwise. And so I was looking there and I joined a few Facebook groups. And, you know, at first I wasn't getting any response, even though I was writing in my email or in my cover letter, like, hey, I'm moving to Berlin at the end of August. I had also started working with a relocation agency. And so I already had an address that I could put on stuff. So a few, the first few didn't get any response, but then about at about July, I started getting responses. I got contacted by a small B2B software company and then they offered me the job before I even got to Berlin. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's so wild how it worked out. When I got here, I was able to just enjoy my first month here, you know, like go to all the tourist things and like explore the city and then like going out and experiencing the nightlife before I jumped in and started my job. Well, it sounds like you could also enjoy like leaving LA and settling into Berlin because often when you are between jobs, it's just this stress of like, oh my gosh, am I going to find something? Can I afford my life? Can I afford to go out with a friend to lunch and, and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, it sounds like once you have this job lined up, I could imagine it relieves a bit of that pressure and you're like, okay, I can actually like say a proper goodbye to LA and really embrace Berlin. Exactly. Exactly. I think I had already left LA when I got the job offer. Like I just, I decided that I was going to fly out to Berlin. I think I had booked the flight and I was going to be leaving on the 31st of August. And so I said, okay, well, I had a car and like a bunch of stuff. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to drive my car and everything to my mom's place. And she lives just outside of D.C. I think I left at the beginning of August because I said, oh, I don't want to keep paying rent in my apartment any longer than I have to. In the U.S., or at least my landlord at the time, like you just had to give like a month notice of when you were leaving. It's not like Germany where you have to give three months for everything. Well, then I'm I'm curious in terms of like, once you did make this move and you started settling here, culture shock, I guess, is what I want to focus on. Because I I had a similar move within the US where I went from, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, and I moved to South Carolina for also for five years. And honestly, I think that was greater culture shock for me than in some ways than moving to Germany, or at least maybe I was just more prepared for it by the time I got to Germany. And since you had a similar thing moving like region to region in the US and then abroad, was it similar for you with with less culture shock coming to Berlin? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I do agree. Like, I think I had a bigger culture shock moving to LA than I did here because The Midwest and LA are like the antithesis of each other, you know? And uh, I don't want to say people aren't nice in LA. Like, they're definitely nice people. It's not like they're rude or anything, but it's like there's not that Midwestern 
hospitality or friendliness by any stretch. It's a faster pace of life. Yeah, so I would say in a lot of ways I dealt with the culture shock, a bigger culture shock there than I did. And I think main, the mainly part of it was, you know, this was the first time I was away from family because um, right. when I was in Indianapolis or Chicago, like my mom and my father were like less than an hour away by car. If something happened, I didn't have that far to go. I think there's when you're far away from home for the first time and you're just there's that moment where you're just like oh shit like I'm not in Kansas anymore like I'm really far away (laughs) it's like the first time your car breaks down and you're like wait what do I do because I would normally just call a family (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and I think also with moving from the U.S. to honestly anywhere in Europe you're you're very aware of the fact that it's different and you're very prepared for the differences and I think honestly with the German culture coming from the U.S. At first, you're like, it's not really that different at all. It's pretty similar. And it's only over time that you're like, oh, no, no, no. It's very, very different. Um, But I think living within the U.S. and moving within the U.S., you're like, you're expecting it to be pretty much the same because you're like, well, it's all the U.S., right? And of course, we all know that there's differences. But I don't know. I think in some ways, we don't really understand what that means until we've experienced it. Yes, I would agree with that as well. And then like Berlin is interesting because like I'd like to say because I've traveled a bit in other parts of Germany now that I've been here for five years. And there's definitely a difference between Berlin and the rest of the country. Like Berlin is like on its own island. (laughs) And then there's the rest of Germany. (laughs) Um, But it's so international. It took me a bit longer to really see the different nuances in German culture that are just like, huh? You know, so. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk more about the Berlin era. So from the move, this first job till to today, um, how's it all been? What's been going on? Did you stick with the job? Did you end up having to move apartments a lot? Okay. So the job that I had ended up being terrible. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) The founder was super toxic. I didn't even pass my probation. After that, I had gone through the interview process with another company. And this process was like something wild, like four or five interviews or stuff like that. And then they offered me the job. And then like a week later, they rescinded the offer because there was something they were weirded out with the visa sponsorship or or not visa residence permit or whatever. So at that point, I was like, well, should I take this as a sign? I was trying to get away from working in the marketing world even before I left the U.S. I had decided when I wanted to move here, I said, okay, well, I'll apply for marketing jobs because that's where my experience is. And then I could figure out pivoting into something else. And so when this happened with this other company, like, that was a moment when I was like, okay, is this the time when I need to really figure out what I want to do? And if I want to pivot into tech, is this when I'm going to be doing it? And so I said, okay, well, I already have some experience with 
building websites and coding and all that. So I'm just going to take a shot at freelancing. And I had a little bit of money saved up to tide me over. Then, yeah, so that was the next era of me in Berlin was freelancing and figuring that whole thing out. And I think that was what I think during that is when I realized like that's an area where Germany needs a lot of improvement, like in the way that it supports and provides resources for people that are self-employed or who are freelancers. And I don't know if it's because culturally Germans are so risk averse that they're just like, oh, just give me a job where I know I'm going to be making 3,000 euros a month and I have my insurance, I have my pension, and I'm good. It's almost like if you decide to go out on your own, people are like, what? Like, why are you doing this? Like, And it's <laughs> almost like the system kind of is doing that to you as well. Like, like they're basically like, we have this amazing system set up for you if you have a full-time job, but if you want to do something on your own or if you want to freelance, we're going to make it as difficult for you as possible. Also coming from like when you have the job lined up, it makes your visa so much easier and it makes your health insurance basically automatic. And there's just so many things that just happen because you have an employer and so many things are tied to that, I think, especially as a foreigner. And then when you go freelance, you're like, oh, shoot, I got it. I got to do all of this on my own. Plus, as you said, they don't really love it when people (laughs) go a little off the beaten path and do things a little different. And so the system's just not there to support it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've met people that have wanted to start stores, like not even like their own shop, like web, like with their own e-commerce website, like they just want to set up something on Etsy and the financed makes you fill out all this paperwork and jump through all these hoops and stuff. And it's just like, for what, for what reason? Like, <laughs> right. So how, how did this era go? Did you, did you end up like pushing through and getting it all worked out? Or did you do it for a couple months and you were like, ahead and I'm good? <laughs> yeah. So I ended up being a freelancer. So this was in 28, like the spring of 2018 when I started. And then I literally was doing it through last year. Oh, wow. It was three years. And then I still do some stuff on the side because I am still registered as a freelancer and stuff. But obviously, now that I have a full-time job, it's the bandwidth isn't as big as it was for other projects. At first, I started out with doing some marketing stuff and some content writing. And then I slowly but surely, like it seemed like with every project, I was figuring out what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do. And anytime I figured out what I didn't want to do, I said, okay, I'm not applying for or putting myself out there for anything like that anymore. And then slowly over time, that just made it so that I was pivoting more on the tech side. And so my bread and butter became building websites for small businesses. And I was doing a lot with uh, Squarespace and Webflow, like doing, and then I would do a lot of custom code components. At the end of 2019, I was like, hmm, I've been doing a lot of custom code and I actually really like this. So I want to do something bigger with this. And that led me to do the Iron Hack boot camp at the beginning of 2020. And uh, I mean, we all know what happened in 2020. And so literally the end of the boot yeah. camp was that week leading into when Germany went into lockdown. Wow. And so I said, okay, well, this isn't the best time. And then like 
over the next few weeks, people are getting laid off of their jobs, especially in like if you were working in travel or all these different sectors that were being severely impacted by the pandemic. And so it just wasn't a good time to be looking for a job. But because a lot of people were quickly having to go online, I had a sudden influx of work. So I ended up just deciding, you know what, I'm going to just continue freelancing until things sort of of settle down with the job market. Yeah. So like I said, I did it through last September and then in September of last year was when I landed my current job, which is like my first real full-time job as a web developer. And so that's where I've been uh, since last year. And then, as I said earlier, I'm currently in the process of interviewing for new jobs just because I figured out that my current company, I just think I've reached the threshold for as far as I can go as far as like growth. And it's a very small company. And so I'm looking to go somewhere that's a little bit bigger. Man, I mean, for context, for anyone who's not familiar with <laughs> German in the websites, shall we say? I mean, there, there's a lot we could say about technology in Germany, but we'll focus on, on your specialization with building these websites for people. Like when the pandemic hit, I, at least where I am in Freiburg, which is a, granted a much smaller place than Berlin, but half of the stores in downtown don't have websites. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just one-off mom and pop kind of stores. And this just wasn't a priority. You just went in and you got things there, right? And so when everyone and other places were just easily pivoting to digital and digital sales, this was not the case. People were frantically scrambling to even have any kind of web presence, let alone any kind of website where you could buy something or organize, you know, making an appointment to come by or something like that. So, yeah, I can I can definitely see your your skill set being in high demand back then. And I mean, still through to today. Oh, yeah. I think if anything, like the pandemic made people realize, like, you have to have some sort of online presence and you have and it's an ongoing thing. And I think as you know, like Germans culturally have been very averse to the internet and doing stuff online. And so it's like, (laughs) there's a lot of companies out there that may have a website, but it's literally from 2000. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, They can't be bothered to update it. And there's not, and I think for a lot of people, there just wasn't that demand for stuff to be updated like there is now and so I think that's shifting but that was also something that I got frustrated with with working in digital marketing in Germany is like there's so many companies here that and people in general that just are like well what's the point and I feel like in a lot of ways, Germany is, uh, I'd say, like, five years behind, like, the definitely the U.S., like, in terms of practices and stuff like that with marketing. Just It's just a different beast out here, and a lot of people don't see the utility for it. Yeah, I think they just sort of culturally have this mindset of you built you build things to last, right? Like if you're going to buy a new set of drawers for your clothes, you're going to do a lot of research. You're going to maybe even just go to some local person who builds furniture. You're going to put a lot of money down on something that's going to last 
for your grandchildren. <laughs> That's like mm-hmm. the, the ideal outcome for a German buying. I mean, this is huge generalization. So take it with a grain of salt. But this is kind of the cultural mindset by and large. And so when you're talking about digital and and I don't know, what I know from the US is especially with, yeah, with websites, with marketing, you build these things with the understanding that in three to six months, you're going to have to revamp it and revisit it. And it's just built into your workflow that things just get old or they need updating. The information you have from today is not going to be true in six months or a year. So you're just like, yeah, of course, you just have to change it and update it. And here it's like, well, why should we put all the time and effort into updating something that we know is going to be old in a couple months? And also, I mean, at least in the fields I know here, the processes are a lot longer. So by the time something is from conception to finish, it can be long enough that the information is old. Yes, that's so true. And I think that's another thing that gets me about Germany is that takes so long for basic tasks and processes to be finished. And I'm just like, why? Yeah, especially like at the bureaucratic or like government level, like, the residence permit process and how there's never appointments available and or like the whole idea of unmeldung like that could actually be digitized then that would leave so many appointments open for things that actually where you do actually need to see speak to a person in person this is just you walk into the the government office and you show that your address changed that's all we're talking about it's it's that <laughs> like it should just be a change of address form on yeah, someone's exactly. side. <laughs> I like I said my theory is like there's so many people that jobs depend on this and I don't know if they want to get rid and these people I don't know if they want to keep these jobs or if they're like not willing to, you know, learn how to stay relevant as far as skills and digitization and all of that. But it's like, yeah. It frustrates me, honestly. But they talk about digitalization, especially in government. And what I keep seeing is like bells and whistles robots that just don't really do anything. Or for instance, like now you can make an appointment online. Like that's new. That is new since my five years in Germany. Um, so like either it's completely nonsense things, in my opinion, where I'm like a robot is is just a toy that's not like there are um, automization processes that do something. But a lot of what I'm seeing is just like it's it's not that it's just like, look at us doing digital things. And I'm like, no, no, no. What I'm talking about is something completely different than what you're talking about. What I'm talking about is having like modern websites and like functional digital infrastructure and what you're talking about is like playing around kind of <laughs> or or they're doing things, but it's like five steps. It's like just a drop in the bucket where it's like making an online appointment. Like I can't get excited that that's possible now because it should have been possible the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally the rest of the world has been doing this for like at least the past 10, if not 15 plus years. <laughs> working in tech do you ever just get burnt out on the reality of what it is here (laughs) I do sometimes like I get really frustrated with things like that cash is still very prevalent here I will say since the pandemic there's been a lot more 
places that have been more become more open to accepting cards. But yeah, I remember that being a huge culture shock when I got here. I literally I, I, I end up getting free meals when I'm back in the States because for various other reasons, I don't have a way to pay people back digitally. I only have either a card or cash. And I always come in with my like German mindset and I go straight to an ATM and I pull out some cash. And then if I go to dinner with friends in the US, I'll just, you know, someone will put it on their card and say everyone else can Venmo me. I don't mm-hmm. have Venmo. So then I try and I can't do bank to bank transfer the way you can in Germany. So I'm like, oh, here, I'll just pay you back in cash. And literally people will be like, I would rather pay for your $30 meal than you give me cash. I don't want that. <laughs> so yeah, that's where we're coming from. And then to a land of like, yeah, we can't even process a card payment from a debit card. <laughs> yeah. 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 We just, we got to do better. But I mean, it makes me glad when I talk to people like you or I'm like, okay, but you're in there, you're in the industry, you're updating people's websites, you are doing the good work. Yeah. And I think there's also a lot of education involved. Like I think when you or somebody like me in the US, like you don't really have to explain a lot of things to people. In Germany, like a lot of people get really concerned about Datenschutz and the data, pri- uh, that, the data privacy. Oh, yes. They get so concerned about it to a point where it's kind of ridiculous. No, no, no. I'm totally with you. Because I, I, I work as a librarian at a public library. So I am I am exactly on the other end of this battle where I'm like, I'm working with people who are coming into a public library to use a computer because they don't have one at home. And sometimes understanding or lack thereof of of how these things function. Like I I have gotten yelled at because Google ranked a search result differently. And there's like a, a huge learning curve to explaining like, the library has nothing to do with Google. Like we can't control mm-hmm. Google. Also, Google is a search engine and this is how the ranking works and showing which uh, which result is top. And all of this stuff is like, as soon as I start talking about this, there's a wall. It's, it's overwhelming or they're not interested in learning, which is frankly, it's, it's dangerous. You have to have some level of digital literacy to get by. So anyway, yeah, I can understand what you're saying here where it's like this educational aspect is a, is a huge aspect. And I, I like that they are concerned about data protection. I think that's really, really good. But it's also like I, one time I got like kind of yelled at by a lady who didn't like the data protection on our public computers. And then she went on Twitter <laughs> immediately after. And yeah, I was like, well, I mean- so many people do stuff like that. Like when uh, the schools were doing e-learning in Berlin, there was a group of parents that got upset because of Microsoft Teams data protection or whatever, and they complained. They actually went to the school board and complained about it, and so they ended up having to use this really bad alternative. I don't remember what it was, but it's just the irony. Like You'll be complaining about Microsoft Teams and their data protection, but you're still using a Gmail address or you're using Google or you're on Facebook, like the number Mm -hmm. one offender of data privacy. (laughs) And it's just like, what the hell? I have to say, I like in my more optimistic moments, I think exactly this interaction that we're discussing as as Americans in Germany, looking at like user friendliness and I don't know how quickly the US turns to technology and how advanced it is there compared to the slowness here. 
But but I think this mixture could theoretically be really, really good because I think the U.S. could learn a lot about data protection and about not just immediately turning to the quickest solution. And oh, you know, yes. we've all seen what's happened in the, in the politics these days and, and how that's been directly linked to radicalization in social media and et cetera, et cetera. So these things are known. And I don't want to come across as saying that the U.S. is this crown jewel that we should all aspire to with tech because I think that's also not right. So yeah, again, in my more optimistic moments, I'm like this mixture between this German mindset and this American mindset could find a really good middle ground. On the other hand, being on like the boots on the ground, the day to day, at least on my end, explaining this to the everyday citizens, and probably I'm assuming on your end as a person trying to, you know, improve these systems and the technology on the back end, it can get very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. But this might be an European Union thing, actually. But there's like, there's this thing with GDPR and that totally changed how people send newsletters. And I think like sometimes I have a moment where I feel realize I've become more German about this because every so often I'll get an email from a random company in the US. Like for example, like I was going, when I was living in LA, I went to this, uh, spin studio to do spin classes and somewhere along the line one of the instructors uh, started his own studio and he took the email list from the old company and according to GDPR Mm. you're not supposed to do that without letting the people know and letting them opt into the new email list right and so anytime that happens I'm just like oh, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's such a good example of like, there are really valuable things to be learned from both mindsets plus, plus other ones, you know, plus other countries that we don't necessarily have firsthand knowledge of. There are so many reasons that having a diverse work staff is really important, especially in tech, but this is one of them. You know, like the more people you get in the room who maybe grew up with different understandings of all this stuff, just the better it's going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. It is time to round the corner and head to home with our ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It is a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? All right. Yes. All right. You've been in Germany for five years. I'm sure you've gotten to see a lot of places in Germany, but what is one place in Germany that has always been on your to-do list and is still on your to-do list? You haven't gotten there yet. Um, it would be Neuschwanstein, the castle that's just outside of Munich. I remember learning about it in school. And I've been to Munich, I think, three or four times now, but I just haven't made it over there. So that's definitely a place. Okay, let's say you're going home in a month and your family and friends know you're coming to town and they want to stock up their fridges and their pantries with your favorite things that you miss from the US. What are they going to the store for? What are they buying? Oh, man, I'd say anything from Trader Joe's, like Trader Joe's plantain chips. Finally, I know that you are a swimmer because we we got to this point of you coming on the podcast because we've been Instagram buddies for a while. So yeah, I saw that you were posting some cool swim swimming pools around Berlin. And I wanted to ask what is your very favorite swimming pool in all of Berlin? Um, so the Hotel Oderberger, it's a hotel up in Prenzlauer Berg in Berlin. And I really like it because it's not 
as busy as a lot of the other pools are, the other stop bobs. And I really love the design. Like it's like this very, like it was restored from pre-war times and it's just very beautiful. And so like, it's a very relaxing place to be. So where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? I, I mentioned Instagram, so maybe we'll start there. Instagram is the best place. My username is LWRocks. I'm so glad we got to talk. It was really a delight getting to know you better and getting to know the person behind the posts I've been seeing. And yeah, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. And once more, happy, happy Gedorchtag. Happy five-year anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being on the show as well. Thanks again to Laurel for coming on to the show. It was so great to finally get to know you more after being Instagram friends for so long. Speaking of Instagram, links to Laurel's Instagram and everything else we talked about are in the show notes. You can also find links to my Instagram and Twitter. I am at The Expat Cast. You can find me online at TheExpatCast.com. I am full of gratitude for each and every review and rating that I get on Apple Podcasts. So please, please take a minute and go ahead and leave one now. I want to thank, as always, Amy Lungi Art for the logo and side hug for the theme music. They are on Instagram at a hug from the side. And today I also want to thank my cat, Charlie, who just decided to come inside and stare at me while I record this outro. So I hope it's up to his standards. You never know with him. All right, I'm going to go scratch his chin. That's very important, very urgent. I will be back in your feeds on Thursday with a Q&A episode. Questions listeners sent in over Instagram, I respond to. Until then, have a wonderful week. Fist done. Cheers.